Wondering what you should be doing in your garden at this time of year? We start off today's show with fellow reality radio broadcasters Joanne Shaw and Matt Dressing, the landscape designers who host the show Down the Garden Path, and they give us their seasonal tips. Then we take you into the world of foraging, really fun foods, and food entrepreneurship. So if you want some very cool food ingredients, or if you want to make food a part of what you do for a living, I think you'll love this. The Food Garden Life podcast today is a rebroadcast of the radio show that aired live on August the 3rd. Welcome to the Food Garden Life show with your hosts, Emma and Stephen Biggs, right here on Reality Radio 101. You're listening to the Food Garden Life Show with your hosts, Emma and Stephen Biggs. We talk to creative gardeners and food lovers, people who break the rules and make new ones. Emma is a 17-year-old Gen Z gardener, author and speaker, who is crazy about growing tomatoes. She's also the author of Gardening with Emma. Stephen is a horticultural veteran who teaches and writes about food production. And he's also a rule breaker, whose Toronto yard has figs, citrus, olives, and all sorts of things he's not supposed to be able to grow. Now, here are your hosts, the daughter and father duel, Emma Biggs and Stephen Biggs. Hey everyone, thanks for hanging out on the show with us today. We're the show that brings together gardening, food, and interesting people. Hey, everybody. Welcome and happy August. We're going to start off the show today with talking to reality radio broadcaster Joanne Shaw and Matthew Dressing, hosts of the show Down the Garden Path. And it's going to be a lot of fun. Four garden nerds on the line together. And if you're interested in gardens and food, but don't have a garden at the moment, our second guest will give you lots of ideas for really great food. We'll be talking about foraging. And Jap- Jack Hamrick takes us into the world of foraging, food, and something else too, taking something that you love and turning it into your work. Now get on board now with all your questions, comments, or any shout outs you want to send in. The studio email address is instudio101 at gmail.com. Now, before we get to our guests, how are you doing? Since our last live radio show, we've been on yet another canoe trip. I'm feeling pretty good about portaging the canoe now. And I've also been working a lot at Zawadi Farm at Downsview Park here in, to- in Toronto. And so I've been hauling a lot of compost and been doing lots and lots of harvesting. In some very hot weather, I should add. Oh, yeah. And I'm just back from another canoe trip with my boys, Quinn and Keaton. And it was a success. We ate speckled trout. So they were pretty stoked about that. And here at home in the Biggs Garden, the garlic is harvested, the currants are pruned, and we've enjoyed a few figs this week. But back to today's show, our first guests are fellow broadcasters here on Reality Radio 101. Joanne Shaw and Matt Dressing are landscape designers, and they're the hosts of Down the Garden Path. Joanne heads up down-to-earth landscape design. Matthew heads up natural affinity garden design and both of them focus on making great outdoor spaces for busy people and joanne and matt have a fantastic new book out it's called down the garden path a step-by-step guide to your ontario garden it's a really great season by season month by month guide of what to do in your garden when you can find it on amazon well get on board now tell us what you're doing in your garden at this time of year or send in your questions for joanne and matt Or maybe you just want to say hi. Or maybe you want to hector me to get Emma a greenhouse. Uh, The studio email address, instudio101 at gmail.com. Now, without further ado, let's get Joanne and Matt on the line. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Yes, thank you for having us. 
Hey, it's it's great to have both of you here. It's like a, a reality radio garden nerd symposium. <laughs> That's right. Let's, uh, <laughs> let's start out by just talking uh, a bit about each of you and the show. And we'll start out, Matt, with you maybe. Just quickly tell us about you and gardening and, and how you got doing the show with Joanne. You know what? Actually, I, I think Joanne kind of leads into that better than... Okay. Yeah. Go for it, Joanne. If, if that's okay, I'll start first. Because yeah, I started the show while Gary is responsible for convincing me over several years to do the show. Um, so I'm a landscape designer and I love working with clients and uh, started, realized that as much as I put a, a garden in for, for homeowners, whether it was a big one or a small one, they still needed help with maintaining it and what to do afterwards. And I could only, this was back in the day before text messages, but even emails, I couldn't keep track of all the emails of what, what do I do with this? And do I trim this now? That type of thing. So I started as a supplement to my business, a garden newsletter. So I thought I would be proactive. And so let my clients know, okay, this month you do this and this month you don't do that. And um, it's been very successful um, over the years. I've been doing it a long time. And um, that led me to Gary uh, convincing me to do the radio show. And uh, so we've given lots of advice over the years and had lots of great guests on uh, for about four or five years. I did it alone. And then Matt had been a guest several times and we just clicked. And uh, he's he really brings the science um, as a horticulturalist. He brings a science background and we just did well on the show together. So he joined me as a host and we kind of grew the show uh, together that way. OK, and you do have such a nice energy when you're working together. Thank you. Yeah. And so, Matt, you 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 jumped on and uh, uh, you haven't looked back. You've been great. Well, thank mm. you. Yeah, that was about um, four years ago, I think it was. Uh, you had me on for a few episodes, our October in the Garden uh, episode, and then you had me back. And so, yeah, after the last four years, I've been, uh, you know, just Joanne's wingman, her co-host there, and, uh, you know, bringing lots of helpful information and just a nice back and forth. And since joining her, we've uh, taken it from being the radio show every week with Gary. We were able to launch it as a podcast and, uh, you know, we've just slowly evolved and uh, continue to do the show that we love. And it's kind of given us the fruit of our latest book, our Down the Garden Path, a step-by-step -step guide to your Ontario garden. So, mm -hmm. Joanne, you've been doing it for, I think, nine years now. Yeah, I and know. And I've been with you for the last, at least the last four seasons. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it's been a wonderful ride. Nice. And we're going to get to your talking about your book in just a second. But before that, let's tell our listeners how they can listen to your show and the podcast as well. Well, Joanne and I host Down the Garden Path every Monday night here on Reality Radio 101 at 7 p.m. Uh, Eastern Time. Uh, so it runs for an hour and we have all sorts of different topics, uh, guests, I think we've had both of you on our show uh, mm -hmm. once upon a time. And um, yeah, so we've just got a very, much like your show, very conversational, an hour with guests, listener questions, talking everything about making your garden and landscape as low maintenance as possible, as well as bringing on outside interesting uh, gardeners, uh, like maybe your next guest, <laughs> and uh, just exploring the world of gardening and, and uh, having fun doing it. Okay. Hey, and we just had an email come in from Dawn who's saying, Hi, Stephen, Emma, Joanne, and Matthew. I am a big fan of all of you. I'm taping the show today. Wow, what a show, all of my favorite gardeners. So, Dawn, thank you for writing in. And we'll remind you, too, that this show actually goes out as a podcast afterwards. So, for anyone who is listening now and wants to listen again, you can find this on Stephen Biggs or foodgardenlife.ca or wherever you get your podcasts. Yes, that's right. Well, okay, I have to ask both of you, uh, do you disagree about some things in gardening or, or how do your approaches to gardening differ? And, and Joanne, maybe you could lead in with that. Sure. Um, I don't know if we necessarily disagree, but I think we have our preferences, right? Um, so I tend to be, I call myself a shrub girl. <laughs> mm -hmm. So I tend to be shrub, tree, multi-stem tree. You know, I see them as being really the foundation of a garden. 
um, and lower maintenance than let's say annuals and perennials can be. And so I think that's where I really um, enjoy my shrubs and think there's a shrub for every situation, every garden. And, uh, and I love my shrubs. Now I know that you, you know, it does help to have perennials in here and there, that type of thing. But I would have to say that my passion is definitely uh, shrubs. I even got have shrubs in containers. I've got, uh, you know, that type of thing. So I try to make the most of shrubs in the garden. And, uh, and I know um, that you your your preferences lie elsewhere right yeah i mean i agree with you that i think there's a shrub for everyone's garden and like you i see them as the foundation those trees shrubs evergreens definitely the bones uh, of your landscape but i am definitely more of an annual perennial type person i call those the flesh of the landscape and i like to see them grow and change and uh, you know, throughout the season, flower and do all different things. I like seeing the ground bare and then coming alive every year and getting in there and planting new annuals and trying new things. So I don't think we really disagree, but we have different viewpoints and different mm. ways. We're looking at the, the garden through different plant scopes. I That's right. <laughs> okay. And, you know, Joanne, I couldn't help but thinking as you were talking about how you like shrubs. I remember talking with somebody who had gone to a school where they had both architecture and landscape architecture programs. And the architecture students, I think disparagingly re referred to the landscape architecture students as the shrubbies. So, oh, <laughs> uh, okay. That's funny. <laughs> well, we're, we're super excited about your book and we'd love to know because it's such a, a big undertaking to put down all your ideas into a book and to, to figure out how to organize it and what should go in and what shouldn't. What got you both going down the path to writing a book? Well, I think the newsletter, well, Stephen, we did talk to you too. And so your advice was very helpful and for us, but I think the newsletter, I mean, we saw how impactful it, it was in the sense that people were really enjoying getting that timely bit of information you know, on um, what to do. And then we quickly, we turned it into a segment. So we would have at the end of, so for two straight years, at the end of the last Monday of the month, we would say what to do in the garden the following month. And, um, and those shows were, you know, of all the shows and all the guests, right, Matt, like those shows are always so popular, because mm -hmm. it was, they just, you know, they don't want to read all about you know, a plant and what you do from A to Z, they just want to know what do I do today, you know, and um, what do I do in my garden today? So I, I think those shows were so popular. So I think the combination of the newsletter and the shows, it really showed us a niche and a need for people because everyone asks for low maintenance. And I know I always joke about, you know, I can't, I don't plant, I don't give you plastic plants, you know, it's, there still is maintenance, you still need to do something. But I think if you make it as simple as possible, and if you do it at the right time, you know, pruning can be a really big job if you let it go three or four years, right? But if, you, if you're on top of everything um, a little bit each month, then I think it really in the end makes for a lower maintenance garden. Yeah. yeah, that is really great advice for all parts of the garden. And I think of my garden and if I'm like weeding after I haven't weeded for a couple of weeks and it's a big job, but if you weed a little bit over time, it slowly adds up to a weed-free garden. Mm -hmm. So we just had another email coming from Brian, Brian saying, hello, gardeners, love all of you. This is such a great treat for listeners. Congrats to Joanne and Matt on their book. This is fantastic. Now let's talk more about the book. And you already mentioned that it's kind of month by month, season by season, because that's how people want to think about gardening. They want to know what's next. So can you share with us some of your top tips for the month of August, which somehow we just started? The top tips for the month of August. Wow. Well, where do you want to start? Because <laughs> within each month of August, um, you know, we go through from seeds to bulbs, annuals, perennials, uh, deciduous trees, evergreens. Uh, and then even like Joanne said in the um, during the shows, we'd always have little miscellaneous tips and tricks that we've, mm. we've scattered throughout there that have to do with tools or local wildlife or stuff. Um, so 
one of the biggest questions I think that we get, um, especially this time of year, is often fertilizing. I think that we see the summer has been long. It's been full of drought. We haven't, I mean, this year we haven't had rain for a number of weeks. So one of the, the parts we have in our August in the garden is a special uh, little page that we drew up on how to fertilize uh, your perennials. And the basics there, it says perennials, but like uh, any part of the book really depends on where you are uh, and the timing and what you're feeding. The overall gist of how to fertilize is there for your, your trees and your shrubs and other plants. So I think that's a great little section in our, in our August um, section. One of our other more popular tips that we've got in August, but we have a larger section as well dedicated to the book, uh, is all about lawn care. Um, that's kind of one of the running jokes on our show is just how to take care of your lawn. So uh, we've got a little bit of a little bit of everything mm-hmm. in August, really. Hmm. Maybe you can help us with our lawn. It's not looking too spiffy these days. <laughs> <laughs> and that's okay. I mean, I think that's something that we talk about in the book that it's not dead, it's dormant, you know, and, and so people panic thinking they've lost their lawn. And really, it's sleeping, it's it's reserving its energy for for uh, because of the heat. And as soon as we get some good rain, you know, near the end of August, beginning of September, poof, it'll be green again. So, uh, so yeah, we give tips and lawn can be a bit controversial. So it it is a popular topic on our Mm. show. People ask us, um, but there's equal amount of people who are trying to get rid of their lawns. I know my clients are and turn them into gardens or food gardens. That's definitely been popular. So, um, so we try to balance in the book by making sure we just cover it all for all types of gardeners. Okay. Well, we just had an email come in from Jason who says he knows of a disagreement between Joanne and Matt that Joanne Ooh. dislikes yellow flowers and plants and Matt likes them. Is that true? Very true. Very true. Very true. Yeah, I don't. Now, let me make it clear. I do not like <laughs> yellow, yellow flowers. I'm, I love yellow foliage. So give me lots of yellow foliage um, and daffodils. I'm fine with daffodils. But yeah, I, I'm just just not my preference in the garden for some reason. So and that my our listeners are always fond to rem- remind me of that. <laughs> and Matt well, loves them. You know, yellow is not a subtle color. So maybe that speaks, says something about personalities then. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I I don't know. I think Joanne's very outgoing, much more than I am. So I'm surprised mm-hmm. that it's the <laughs> reverse. But <laughs> yeah. uh, we just had an email come in from Donna. Uh, to all of you, uh, she's asking, Stephen, when is your new book coming out? Donna, I don't know. I don't have one in the in the cooker right now, but I, I should oh. get thinking about that. And oh, Emma, she's got something here for you too. Donna's wondering, Emma, how big is the new greenhouse? Well, it's an imaginary greenhouse at this point. <laughs> in my head, it's, it's massive. It's great. It's filled <laughs> with tomatoes and peppers and ground cherries. So pretty good on that side. And, and Donna's asking... Matt, can I rake my lawn yet? And Joanne, spray paint any yellow flowers to a color that you like. Oh, oh I like that. Yeah. Well, and she says, you folks rock. Maybe let's jump back to the question for Matt, though. Can Donna rake her lawn yet? <laughs> yes, you could definitely be raking your lawn. But if it is dormant, you do want to stay off of it. It's defenseless. She's pulled in all of her resources to wait for the cooler weather for her to regenerate. So Donna, if your lawn is dormant, she's kind of that brown, flat, you know, that scorched kind of lawn look. Leave her be. If you have some debris out there, run out and pick it out there. But uh, those growing tips that sit on the soil are, are exposed. And you don't want to do too much damage to them until they're ready to pop back out in the fall. So minimal out there. Uh, if it's green, go right ahead. Yep, for sure. Uh, but yeah, just watch what state is she in right now. Okay. Well, at this time of year, the garden, at least my annual garden, is pretty full, pretty chaotic. There is so much going on. And every year I try to take some notes to remember what's happening. So I know five years from now, oh, this variety did well, this plant did mm. well. Um, I'm not very good at that, but I love that in the book you have space for people to write down notes about their garden. So I'd love to hear from both of you. What do you like to keep track of in the garden? What do you like to write down so that you know for the future? Yeah. Um, You know what? One of the things that I like to take down and 
Um, I haven't done it in our book yet, um, but I have another garden journal and I like to write down the weather. I like to write down the high for the day. Uh, was it rainy? And then anything else I like to kind of see in the garden. I know when annuals get big and they get close and perennials, uh, you start to get those little spots where the air doesn't quite move or there's nice little hiding spots for other insect pests and diseases to emerge. So any scouting, any IPM scouting I might be doing, uh, saw aphids or powdery mildew moved into an area uh, that I haven't quite seen it yet before, that sort of thing. So that's what I like to track of and as well, just like you, any other cool or new cultivars uh, that I might see or new plants excited that I'll have to try. Mm, what about Joanne? Yeah, so it's actually kind of funny. You, I'm surprised you didn't say this, Matt. So I tend to take photos. I use photos as my garden journaling. So I was kind of anti notes in the book. And, um, and Janet, our lovely editor and Matt were like, No, no, I'm like, who's gonna write notes in the book? <laughs> Why wouldn't they just take a picture? So it's kind of funny, Emma, that you bring that up. So I and I can appreciate that people will write notes in the book. So Matt and Janet won, so that's fine. And I and I have to say it does look very good. And I've had a lot of people who have commented how much they like that idea. Um, I think for me, it's um, I'm more visual, so the photos and when I look from month, similar things like from month to month, from year to year, like how are things filling in or what's time to go, um, that type of thing. I'm pretty vicious if I'm if I don't like the plant and it's not behaving like I want it to go, you know, then it goes. Um, so keeping track of uh, different varieties, new ones when they come out, I could see that being a benefit. Um, but being more visual, you know, I, I think using a phone is a good thing too. What you say about photos is very interesting to me because last, well, a year ago this this past spring, I, I took a bunch of photos in my front garden so I could remember where to plant tulips because mm. I find that in the fall, when I'm thinking about planting tulips, I can never remember where I already have tulips yeah. or other bulbs. And I start mm -hmm. planting and I end up digging up half the stuff that's in there. So yeah. I love your idea of photos. I think that's a great tool for gardeners. Mm -hmm. And we do oh. say that a lot in the book. Yeah, right? That is that often is one of the things we almost had to take some out because we were saying it too often. But, you know, yes. Yeah, so we, we think that is a really good and easy way to remember um, not only where something already is, that's a perfect example, or looking like, like right now, August can be a tricky time in the garden. And whereas like all the, you know, June, July things have finished blooming and like our fall, September things haven't started blooming yet. So August can be sometimes a little bit of a gap. So taking photos now to see where it, are the gaps. So when you're mm -hmm. planning again for new plants, you can see, okay, well, I need something, you know, the garden center, you know, not, you don't need any more June flowering plants. You need, you don't need another peony, but you need something that's blooming in August and that can really help. Okay. Another email in this one from Patty and um, saying this garden shows the best, lots of expert advice. All of you are amazing <laughs> and that she's learned so much from all of us over the years. So Patty, thank you. That means a lot yeah, to us. Thank you. Well, Thanks, okay. Patty. So we're, we're all going to go out and take photos of our gardens <laughs> after we finish the show and we still have a few minutes left. So let's get in a few more tips for this time of year. What can people be doing? And, Joanne, maybe we could start with you. Sure, sure. I'm just going to flip open the book and see. Okay. Um, <laughs> um, well, I think I do want to also mention uh, our design favorites as well in the book. Mm -hmm. So I think that is another, you know, speaking of holes and, and places in the garden. So I think now is a good time to look at your garden and kind of see what's blooming, what's done blooming, um, what you wished would bloom longer, you know, so maybe it doesn't, it's not getting enough sun in its spot, it, it needs to move. And um, so Matt and I, each month, we went through the book and we um, kind of picked our favorites. So something that's blooming or looking good that month. And um, so that's something, you know, I think is really good. And water. I think the other tip right now is watering and 
not just annuals and perennials. Our trees need water. Our shrubs need water. Our city trees need water, which can sometimes be uh, controversial. I think a lot of people think, well, the city tree is not their tree and they don't have to look after it. But it shades our house. It shades our street. It adds property value. There's lots of reasons. And um, we actually have a diagram in the in the in the book about the um, what's it called, Matt? I'm just the drip line. Me. The drip line of where to water the tree, because Matt and I have both seen, and I'm sure you guys have seen it too, um, people watering the trunk of their city tree, you know, and really Mm -hmm. the drip line of their tree, where it is in the yard and where they should be watering. So I think that's something because, you know, we keep getting these forecasts where it's going to rain. So then people don't water their garden because it's going to rain and then it doesn't rain. And then they're, you know, so I think um, dot don't forget about your trees. They need water as well. Even though they're more mature, they do need some water. Okay. That's a great tip. Um, Matt, do you have additional tips to weave in here? My, you know what? My main tip was going to be watering as well. And and those newly planted evergreens, because Mm. unlike our trees, shrubs or perennials are more uh, herbaceous looking things. They're not going to show signs of wilt when they're root when they're dry and they're ready for a drink, they're going to get to the point where they're going to collapse almost completely. Uh, and evergreens have that way of, you know, taking damage. But as the seasons change, that's where you start to see the damage, the dead tips, where that limb is just starts to brown out and die. So, you know, keep those evergreens, especially those newly planted evergreens, uh, an eye on those and keep them evenly moist all the way until that ground starts to freeze up. Uh, so they always have that water to fight. Yeah. Okay. Well, something I want to say thank you to you both for including in the book is a glossary of garden terms. And it's amazing because it's full of so many great terms. And I just looked it up because you said drip line and I know what that is, but I was like, is it in the book? And I opened up the book and it's there. And there's so many other great definitions in there. And so I think that's something that more garden books should include. It's really fantastic. Excellent. I'm glad you like that because that's a sh- big shout out to Matt because he just he yes that way he did a, such a deep dive on that. So thank you, Matt. I think it turned out great. And oh, and we literally you. thought like we really you guys we didn't think we could come up with like a, a 50 page book, <laughs> right? And then and then poof, we're like okay, well maybe we'll get to 100. Well, what are we at? Uh, we had to cut off at uh, 139. 139 you know so yeah that it was great that Matthew uh, did such a good job and a really thorough because we and some of that goes to the radio show too because I think and you guys probably agree because we we are experienced to a point in what we do and so we know the terms and we understand them but it doesn't mean that everybody does you know when Matt says herbaceous or when we talk about hybrids or, you know, the different tomato varieties, I'm sure, are different ways. You know, when you talk about, Emma, I talked to you about, oh, I'm even going to forget the two different types of tomatoes, right? Determinant and indeterminate. There you yeah. go. Right? And so we talk, we, I can't even keep those straight. So I, it was really the radio show that showed us like, wow, these basic terms, evergreen and deciduous, not everybody knows that. So, um, so we wanted to just level the, the playing field and make sure as much of that information um, and that foundation for people learning um, was there. So Matt did a wonderful job on the, the glossary. Yeah, well, actually, that might be a great way to end this segment is maybe each of you could tell us what you think the most misunderstood um, gardening term is. And then listeners can have can each take home like a little segment of something that they're going to try to remember a new term to add to their garden glossary. Ooh, Emma. <laughs> so for each of you, maybe Matt, do you want to get us started? What do you think gardeners mix up the most? Wow. Wow. That is a crazy question. That's a very good question. I think you've, um, yeah. you've got me, you know what I can, I think I jumps out to me is um, partial sun and partial shade. Mm. Um, partial sun being plants that do like lots of, of sunlight as much direct sunlight as they can, but they definitely benefit from some, a little bit of a break, a little bit of break in the height of the sun in the afternoon. Hydrangeas kind of jumped to my mind with the part sun, you know, just a break from that, you know, 1230 to 230 or 3:30 in the long days of the summer. Some of those varieties just flourish better and look a lot better. Whereas partial shade, they do want a more bright indirect light, uh, but they really only need, you know, that one 
to two hours of direct sun uh, to be happy and still look look their greatest. And much more than that might stress them out a little more than, than they like. So I think that's one of those kind of those terms that we just kind of use all the time, oh, part sun, part shade, as the one term, when really there is a slight distinction. Excellent. Okay. Excellent. That's a great one. Mm. I'm going to say mulch. <laughs> Sounds like okay. a thing to say. But I feel like people are starting to, especially, you know, don't even get me started on the whole colored mulch because that's a whole other show. <laughs> but, um, you know, I think people see mulch as it be as a as a feature, as a decorative feature, as a as something like that, that, you know, the mulch needs to look good. It, that's why they want black or they want, want it to look a certain way as as it's a feature of the garden and mulch has a job you know it is meant to protect the soil it's meant to help reduce uh, watering by you know by uh, shading and, and keeping the moisture in and it also is meant to break down and and improve the soil so you see a lot of people choose a mulch because it la oh i like this mulch because it lasts a long time and and so well that's not good because you want the mulch to break down and to improve the soil so i feel like people view mulch as a as a like I said a, a decorative layer to their garden when really it is um, meant to be a living organism and uh, it really has a has a, a purpose and a function in the garden um, so so I think that's Beautiful. one thing I'm a little I, I, I think is misunderstood in the industry Very passionate about. I'm okay. passionate about <laughs> excellent well Joanne and Matthew thank you for hanging out with us this has been so much fun before we let you go where can people get a copy of your book? Yeah, you can find it on amazon.ca or .com, whichever one you are on. Wonderful, wonderful. That's right. And we'd love for everybody to listen to us Monday nights at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time right here on Reality Radio 101. And and uh, and you can check out our podcast, our past shows, if you're new, if you're new to us. Also on all the podcast places, all the streaming services, uh, you can have a listen to past shows uh, from of Matt and I. And we want to okay. thank you so much for letting us yes. join you here. Thank oh, it's so much. Fun. We have oh, to yeah. do this again. So Joanne and Matt, thank you. Bye You're now. Welcome. Bye. Bye. That was Joanne Shaw and Matthew Dressing. You can tune into their show, Down the Garden Path, on Mondays right here on Reality Radio 101 at 7 p.m. Eastern. And you can also find their new book, Down the Garden Path, on Amazon. And coming up in just a moment, do you love amazing food? Do you love the unusual? How about black walnut milk or tulip poplar flowers? Jack Hamrick from Foraged talks about great food, foraging, and making a business out of a passion. You're listening to the Food Garden Life Show. I'm Emma Biggs. We'd love it if you keep in touch between radio shows. What do you like about the show? What would you find useful? Message us at foodgardenlife.com or find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, where we hang out under the handle Food Garden Life. And Emma also hangs out on Instagram as Emma Biggs underscore grows. And her website is emmabiggs.ca. And we also have a bunch of shout outs today from people who have gotten touched between shows. We are so lucky to have such amazing listeners. So thank you. Kyle, Gail, and Olivia, thanks for writing in. We're so glad that you're enjoying the show. Kelly, thanks for the smile. And Florence, I love the picture that the, of the greenhouse that you sent. Pressure's on, Dad. Uh, thanks, Florence. And on Instagram, thanks to Urban Girl Gardener. I'm eating homegrown figs this week here in Toronto. And if you want to up your game at growing figs this year, check out my online fig masterclass for cold climates. There's no one right way to grow figs in cold climates, but there is a best way for you and for your garden. And you can find that as you see different approaches to growing, ripening, and overwintering figs. This self-paced masterclass will help you do that. Find it at foodgardenlife.com. Just go to the 
courses page. If you want lots of great ideas about gardening, about food, about the cool people who find amazing food, cook it, about people who have amazing gardens and are just doing really cool things, remember that we have a weekly podcast. A couple of the fun episodes that we've had since our last live radio show are Rooftop Figs in Pittsburgh and Growing from Your Own Kitchen Scraps. You're listening to the Food Garden Life Show with your hosts, Stephen and Emma Biggs, right here on Reality Radio 101. To get on board right now, send us an email. Our email address is instudio101 at gmail.com. And now, back to your hosts of the Food Garden Life Show, Stephen and Emma Biggs. Hello, and we're back. And now we're going to get into some really unusual food, into foraging, and making a business out of a passion. Have you ever heard of black walnut milk or eating tulip poplar flowers? I hadn't. Jack Hamrick loves to cook, and he loves great produce loves great foraged foods, but living in New York City, he found it tough to connect with specialty food producers and foragers. I love the idea of turning a passion into your work. Jack got the idea for what he does when he found it tough for food lovers to find specialty produce and foraged ingredients. Jack and his partner run Foraged, an online marketplace for specialty foods from farmers, foragers, and specialty processors. The website is forage.market. So send in your questions for Jack. Do you have a favorite foraged food? The studio email address is instudio101 at gmail.com. And now, without further ado, let's get Jack on the line. Jack, welcome to the show. Hello. Thanks so much for having me. Hey, it's great to have you here. And uh, maybe we could start out today, Jack, just by finding out a little bit more about why you wanted to start your own business in this area of the foraged and specialty foods. Tell us about your journey. Yeah, certainly. So my whole background, uh, both in academia and in my professional career, has always revolved around sustainability and particularly sustainability innovation. And the thing I love about sustainability is that it is always part of a system. You can't ever do something more sustainably by just doing one thing. You really need to look at the entire system. And so I've done everything from solar energy to hydrogen trucks to waste and recycling sustainability. Uh, But underneath all of that, I've always really had a strong passion for good food and really the the love of the people doing the labor, I, I think is something that's uh, been missed over time in our modern world. And with that undercurrent in my passion and experience in sustainability, I've been really itching to kind of merge the two of them. Uh, I've always found that my, my motivation really comes from uh, doing something that I feel passionate about, that I'm really working towards something I believe in. And after a few years of working at a big company uh, doing sustainability innovation, most recently at a startup doing uh, waste and recycling innovation, I finally felt prepared to strike out on my own and start to chase something that I've been passionate about forever. And um, I'm sure we'll get a bit more into the details, but briefly, I, I started to see an opportunity around overlooked foods, both indigenous foods, wild foods, uh, just unconventional foods in general and the opportunity to really empower small-scale food producers and put the power of the food system back in the hands of the little guy. And when I kind of saw that opportunity and the sustainability angle that you could implement around it, I decided to take the leap. Hmm. Uh, That's a a pretty amazing jump from going from being in waste and recycling and vehicles and jumping into food. And yet, as you say, I guess sustainability – is that common thread in there? That's right. Yeah. And it's like, um, you know, I'll pull an example out of the air for, um, I call it systems thinking. Um, I think it can be applied to really anything, but sustainability is, is really interesting because let's say you're, I don't know, thinking about building a new highway or something, right? Um, 
someone might, uh, an urban planner might just say, hey, this is the best location. And then you might have another expert saying, well, there's already a community there. What happens to, to that community? Someone else might say, what about the tax revenue? What about the wetlands that's nearby? Uh, there's so many different angles. And I feel like people often become very specialized. And when you're thinking about sustainability and these sorts of decisions and innovations, you really do have to think about every single angle of how something might be changed for the better. I've always been very generalist in my interests and um, sort of disciplines that I've pursued. And with sustainability and with food, it really is this holistic approach. You know, you can't just think about the soil. You can't just think about uh, the irrigation or the nutrients. It's all part together. And the only way to improve it holistically is by taking that approach as one. Okay. So let's talk more about this journey. And so what was it like when you actually decided to start the start the business? And let's also talk about your business partner, Andy, who you started with, started the business with. Sure, of course. So this was back in December 2020. And I was pretty actively looking for uh, some way to get involved with sustainable aquaculture. I was particularly interested in sustainable seaweed cultivation. I was also interested in uh, everything from catfish to oysters, pretty much anything that grows in the water that hasn't been tapped. And I was talking to, uh, at the time, somewhat of a distant friend, Andy, who's now my co-founder. At the time, he was a professional nature photographer on the coast of North Carolina. And I contacted him and said, hey, do you know anyone doing seaweed, catfish, et cetera? I'm interested in, in getting involved. And he said, no, I don't, but tell me more about what you're interested in. Somehow I randomly mentioned that I was looking for a type of mushroom called chicken of the woods, which I didn't really know anything about other than it tasted like chicken and it was really good. And I said, I can't find it anywhere. Uh, I've had it at this restaurant once, but yeah, you know, any ideas? He goes on to tell me that he's a certified forager, which I did not know what that was, and that chicken of the woods only grows in the wild and you literally cannot cultivate it. So I'm thinking, wow, it's a whole new world to me. Tell me more. He goes on to say, yeah, I actually have a ton of chicken of the woods right now. Uh, he was living um, at that point in Asheville, North Carolina. And he says, I don't, I don't know what to, how to sell it. I have a ton of it, sustainably harvested. I'm legally allowed to sell it, uh, but I don't know what to do. So it's a clear light bulb. I'm like, I can't get that. I'm looking everywhere to find that, that one type of mushroom. You have a ton of it and you don't know how to sell it. Like, we should start thinking about that idea. So at first it was kind of a sort of a silly sort of realization. like, how many people are looking for chicken of the woods? How many people have it? You know, kind of a one-off random thing. But I started looking more into uh, the industry around wild mushrooms and wild foods and how opaque it is, how sort of underground it is, um, and how expansive it is. At the same time, I, I realized that a community around wild mushrooms in particular was massive, massive and very, very engaged and very enthusiastic. So when I see hundreds of thousands of people on these Facebook groups, on Reddit and so forth, and then this very, very large sort of underground market, I kind of came to the realization that if you take this huge fragmented market of these foods that you, for the most part, literally cannot grow, and you merge it with this community that's already extremely passionate, and you put that on a platform marketplace website, there you go. You've solved the supply issue. You've solved the demand issue. You're bringing the community into the mix. And uh, we saw a ton of enthusiastic response. I mean, the first week that we went live, we, we basically did no marketing at all for the first probably half a year or so. Uh, and the response from the community was so strong that we ended up growing pretty quickly. Hmm. That's amazing. Okay. Well, tell us a little bit about what it's like uh, to work together. What do each of you do? Because I think a lot of our listeners are interested in this idea of taking something they love and making it into a business. But the idea of collaborating with other people can be intimidating. So how, how, what do you each do and how do you do that? Yeah, good question. So we, we actually work incredibly well together with um, sort of different backgrounds and different strong suits. Uh, so Andy was a professional photographer for quite some time, very um, sort of artistry driven, uh, very, very uh, engaged with other people, very empathetic. And he was our first user uh, setting up his own business on Forage. So he has an incredible background in design and um, 
really just being super close in touch with the people using our website to grow their businesses. And then from my side, I'm more of the business background, the big picture, um, the innovation side of it. And so when you when you combine that deep empathy from the user perspective and uh, sort of the artistry um, and technology perspective that Andy brings with my side of the higher higher level view, the overall business trajectory, bringing those two together, we we plug like almost all the gaps that we've had here at the beginning, uh, and it's been a it's been a very happy marriage so far. Okay. All right. And for any listeners who are just tuning in, we're chatting with Jack Hamrick from Foraged.Market, which is an online marketplace for foraged and and specialty foods. Jack, next, I'm wondering if you can just uh, give us any pieces of advice for people who are interested in the entrepreneurial side of things and starting a business. What are your top two or three tips you'd give to people? Sure. Uh, my top tip is give it a shot. Uh, you'll never know if you if you don't try. Uh, and I, I definitely think the the fear of regret. Uh, I think anyone might regret not giving something a shot more than they would if, if they did give it a shot. So even if it's just on the side, just getting your feet wet, that would definitely be my first advice. Uh, the other thing I've noticed too is I feel like almost every day of, of aging, I'm not that old, but I got married uh, a few months ago. I have a dog now. And it seems like with every day that passes, sort of the um, risk tolerance decreases. Granted, I don't have kids. That's a whole new <laughs> world of, of dependency and people to provide for. But I really do feel like the best day is today. Um, and give it a shot. You know, you can do a lot on the side, a lot whether it's weekends and, and your off time, that's really how we got started with Forage was we both had regular jobs and um, we were just seeing what was out there. I think beyond um, just having like the self-confidence and curiosity to give it a shot is think about what is driving that interest and what is driving that curiosity. Uh, is it for, for a lot of people in our community, it's really the drive to, to nourish people in their communities, to connect with new people all over the world who are passionate about the things that they're passionate about. Um, I think as long as there's a, a passion underneath and something that's really core to who you are, that's really the the key to not just finding you know, massive success. That's that's a great byproduct of it, um, but simply that self confidence and belief in yourself and knowing that at the end of the day, if if you give it a shot and you have fun with it, that I think that's success for for me at least or for for anyone I would give advice to. Yeah. That is really good advice. Well, I'm curious to know, when was the moment when you felt like Forge was starting to connect with people when you thought, okay, this is a successful business and it's doing what we wanted it to? Yes, great question. So I love seeing the reviews on the website that uh, they often come in the form of something like, I grew up eating morels with my grandmother in Michigan and I'm moved away from Michigan you know, 40 years ago. I've never had morels in the last 40 years. Thank you so much for existing. Thank you for connecting me with other small-scale food producers and helping me re relive this joy. Uh, those types of reviews uh, always make me very, very happy. Uh, and so similar sorts of angles around that of really the core of it is I can't get this food. I really love it. And I love supporting small businesses. Bingo. Like, that's exactly why we're here. And then on the um, on the seller side, because so we basically have two sets of, of customers, two sets of users. And then on the seller side, uh, we knew that it was starting to work and start to connect with people when we saw some people quitting their day jobs. So people were doing this as a side hustle. Maybe they were foraging. Maybe they had a, a little tiny brand of vinegars or coffees or whatever. Uh, and people have been able to quit their day jobs and go full time uh, because of the platform that we offer and and seeing that growth and them living out their dreams, doing what they love has been incredibly rewarding. And of course, uh, a great sign that we're you know, doing something that people want. Okay. I'm looking at Emma now, just in case she's thinking about doing that with <laughs> tomatoes. <laughs> yeah. Just quit school and grow tomatoes full time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, do it. <laughs> well, I'm really excited that you brought up morels because morels are the only mushroom that we forage. And I think mom and dad did more foraging before me and my brothers came along. But I've always thought and always wanted to do more mushroom foraging. And so I was excited when I went on the website and I saw that you also have experiences. Can you tell us what those are? 
Yes, that's a great segue. Yes, so we we just introduced experiences uh, maybe only a month or two ago. And the idea for experiences is that as wonderful as it is to enable access to these amazing, unique foods um, for people who can't get them, it's even more amazing to bring new people into the world, into the physical world um, most often, where uh, all sorts of different experts or uh, small business owners, whatever they might be, can now connect with people and teach them about foraging, teach them about gardening, about farming. They can do events, demonstrations, workshops. Essentially, if it's related to food or culture or agriculture or art um, and someone's doing it and they're passionate about it, other people want to know. And now they can go on foraged and from the same shop as uh, someone might have. They can both sell their tomatoes and uh, also offer, uh, you know, morel foraging classes. I think it's it's been really really cool, and we've had a lot of of great feedback from uh, the individuals using our site for their businesses to now be able to connect even further in real life. Oh, that's neat. And so, so with the classes, are those classes that are in person and physical, or can those also be virtual? Good question. They can be virtual. Yes, we've had. Um, especially during some of the more recent waves of, of the COVID-19 uh, outbreaks, we have had people doing Zoom classes. So there's some people doing um, like workshops and stuff that are either live on Zoom or downloadable content. Um, it's really been very interesting to see how creative some of the people have been with the way that they uh, introduce their, their knowledge and experience. Okay. Well, you mentioned that Andy, one of the co-founders, um, is certified as a forager and you mentioned that some people are forging as cut or making things as a side job and they've quit their main job to do that full time who are some of these people who are selling on forage.market are they are they sort certified professionals are they just backyard um, gardeners or backyard foragers who are looking for things who can use this platform it's a an amazing array uh, so the people in our community are just incredibly interesting. Everything from uh, there's a cryptocurrency network uh, software developer uh, down in the south of the United States who's a forager and sells his products on our site to a mom and pop in the middle of Pennsylvania. They're about 75 years old uh, and they sell their goods on forage as well. So the, the, the array is, is amazing and it makes my job very, very interesting to connect with these people. The certification uh, aspect is interesting, too, because there are very sparse laws in the United States around what can and can't be harvested, who can and cannot harvest. Uh, there's really only a few states that have things on the books around it, North Carolina being one of them, uh, which Andy is certified through the organization that uh, their, their program is recognized by the state. But for the vast majority of states, there's there's really no regulation, which we're actively working towards creating our own certification programs to make sure people have the knowledge uh, who wants to get involved in the space. And down the road, <clears throat> we're hoping to get more involved on some of the policy aspects as well uh, to make sure that people um, can participate in this in a, in a healthy and sustainable and safe way. Okay. A couple emails in from Tim and Alexis who are enjoying the show. So thank you. Uh, we're, this is sure a fascinating talk. I wanted to ask you, Jack, just more specifically about a couple of the food products. I know we don't have time to get into all of them, but I, I put out the teaser earlier about the black walnut milk and the tulip poplar flowers as as examples of unusual things that are foods that are for sale. Are there a couple others that jump out at you as being unexpected, things that surprise people? Oh, goodness. Uh, I'm not kidding when I say every single day there is a new food that I have never heard of in my life. It's, it's honestly a, a delight to, to see all these new things come in. Uh, I've always been a, a real sucker for maple syrup, which is not that unusual, but there's some amazing maple syrups uh, available mm. on the site. Another thing I've really enjoyed, uh, actually, um, this seller is from Canada. They're from Muskoka. They have a uh, wild ramp infused vinegar that is absolutely spectacular. Very good on French fries. Um, lots of interesting nuts. Uh, we're getting very into pawpaws right now. Uh, we'll be working with a ton of different pawpaw farmers throughout the Midwest to to help commercialize some of their uh, ingredients, which is a very up and coming market. We're very happy to be involved there. 
other interesting things, aronia berries, there's like a hundred million berries that sometimes appear made up, but they are certainly uh, real. Wine berries, um, sumac, like it, it's amazing. It's amazing just how much bounty there is around us and how much um, you know, traditional knowledge has been glossed over for just, you know, your run-of-the-mill celery or whatever it is. Uh, it's been it's been spectacular to shed awareness, not only on the individual edible ingredient, but to tell the stories of the people who have retained that knowledge and that culture around it is something that uh, I'm very motivated by. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, certainly for me, an aronia berry, it's, it's a name I hear all the time, but I wouldn't know where to start with it in the kitchen. So the, it's, it's great to think that people are passing on that knowledge. Well, yes, and, of, go ahead. Emma. Sorry, you can go ahead. Uh, I was going to say, Steve, um, that's a big, uh, we're hiring right now. For those listening, we need help. <laughs> a big gap we have right now is um, we want to be able to educate folks better on what to do with all these amazing ingredients. Uh, some of them are very unfamiliar to, to the everyday person. And we think we're, we have a gap right now, not doing it justice when we're not teaching and educating folks on, on how to do uh, different things in the kitchen with these ingredients. Mm. Yeah, well, I was going to say, actually, I saw some really cool recipes on the website, everything from how to grill chicken of the woods and purslane salad to something I was very excited about, ginger chocolate daylily buds. And so I was really excited to see lots of the recipes on there. Yes, thank you. Uh, That's our teammate, JB. He is an unbelievable cook and an even better photographer. I don't understand how he comes up with these recipes and how he shoots them with such beautiful photography. He uh, recently made a chicken of the woods buffalo sandwich that I like want to eat my computer when I look at it on the screen. (laughs) It's absolutely, it's it's amazing. Oh, that sounds good. And and we saw Chicken of the Woods, by the way, for sale, not too far from here in Toronto. You said Kitchener, I think, Emma? Yeah. So uh, for, for people wondering where different providers are, they're, they're everywhere, right? Everywhere across North America. That's right. Yeah, we're in um, primarily U.S. and Canada. We are in, I think, about seven or seven to nine other countries around the world, um, but primarily U.S. and Canada. And we do make a point on any given product page or shop page to have a map to show you whereabouts someone is. Uh, we don't show the actual address. Privacy is, is key. Uh, but yeah, we always want to show where things are from. Some, some people treat different ingredients almost like wine, where they know that XYZ tastes different in the Pacific Northwest than it does in the Northeast. And by providing more information about who's actually producing your food uh, is really what we stand for. Yeah, well, I was very excited to see Chicken of the Woods because I've heard so much about it, but it's one of those things I've never tried. And so I'm excited to hopefully make dad order some when we're done this (laughs) and uh, hopefully try a whole bunch of other neat things that I have also never tried. And so for, for people interested in checking out some of the foods, forged.market and, and Jack, for people who are thinking, oh boy, I've got, you know, out back, we're growing X, Y, Z, or we, we've got whatever, people interested in maybe selling or thinking about selling, what should they do? Where should they find out more? Definitely, yes. So our, our website is uh, interesting. It's not .com. There's all these fancy new website domains now. Uh, and by fancy, I mean less expensive. <laughs> so our <laughs> website is is www.foraged.market. That's our main website page. And for folks who are interested in uh, growing their business and sharing their wonderful products and ingredients with others, you can go to www.foraged.market slash sell. And there's more information on there. Uh, It's free to join, free to list. Uh, We're here for for the folks on the site. and we'd love to see more people get involved. Okay, that's wonderful. And maybe uh, as a as a parting uh, question for you, if you had to pick one foraged food to cook for dinner for tonight, is there anything that jumps out at you? 
Uh, it is chanterelle season right now uh, in the Mid-Atlantic and Northeast. So I'll probably pick some chanterelles, maybe a, a little pasta with it. Um, maybe even a little truffle oil on top. That sounds pretty tasty. Ooh. Oh, that sounds so good. Sounds great. <laughs> Jack, it was really great talking to you. Really great to hear about Forage. Thanks so much for joining us on the show today. Thank you so much, Emma and Steve. I really appreciate it. Thank you. All right. Bye now, Jack. Take care. That, that was Jack Hamrick from Foraged, and you can find him and lots of very cool food online if you go to www.foraged.market. And the Food Garden Life show is just about over for today. So a big thanks to Joanne Shaw, Matt Dressing, Jack Hamrick for joining us on the show, and a shout out to our producer, Gary, who makes this first Wednesday of every month just so much fun for us. Thank you, Gary. Thank you, Steve and Emma. And thanks to all the listeners who wrote in. Thank you, Don, Brian, Jason, Donna, Patty, Brenda, Alexis, and Tim. And we'd love to hear you for our next live show. You can always connect with us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, where we hang out as Food Garden Life. And you can also find me on Instagram under Emma Biggs underscore grows and don't just connect with us give us your feedback are we getting things right who do you want us to have on the show next just drop by foodgardenlife.com you're listening to the food garden life show i'm stephen biggs and i'm emma biggs have a great month everyone for listening to the Food Garden Life Show with your hosts, Stephen and Emma Biggs, right here on Reality Radio 101.